Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. We've been hearing about a lot more kids heading to emergency rooms with symptoms of RSV, respiratory syncytial virus. Parents, no doubt, have questions about this bug. So this week on The Dose, we're asking, what should I know about RSV? Hi, Fatima. Welcome back to The Dose. Hi, Brian. It's nice to be here. What's the situation like in the emergency department at your hospital? Oh, gosh, it's overflowing. I was just saying I walked by as I came back to my office right now, and it's just it's almost like a war zone. There's people sprawled out all across the main emerge, but also we have two big overflow areas that has taken over the first floor. So there's just parents and kids who are camped out uh, waiting to be seen. And we'll talk, I guess, a little bit about the connection between that and this particular virus. But before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it, just ad lib. Sure. So my name is Fatima Kakar. I'm a pediatric infectious diseases specialist and associate professor at pediatrics uh, at St. Justine Hospital here in Montreal. Okay, let's go. And I want to start with the basics. So first of all, what is RSV? So I'm so glad uh, I'm able to talk about RSV because it's been the bane of pediatrics for, you know, since we've been in training and that it is the most common cause of respiratory illness. So the most common cause of the common cold. So it's actually very, very, very uh, well known. People have it. Most people have had it at least once by age two. And it really is the most common cause globally of upper respiratory illness. So what we know as runny nose, sore throat, cough, what people come up with as the common cold. But because it's so common, most people didn't realize that it can cause major trouble for some children and especially younger children. And so I think that's why there's so much interest in it now, because people haven't realized that, well, for most of us, it's just a cold. For some people, it can be more severe. And we'll get into that in a, in a few moments. But what do we know about what's causing the spike in RSV cases across Canada that that's everybody's talking about in the media? And, and of course, it's the bane of emergency departments, the people who work in emergency departments, pediatric emergency departments. Absolutely. So we're used to RSV being a winter virus. So typically, end of November, December, we get our first cases. And then across Canada and the US, we get spikes of hospitalizations January, February, and then by uh, mid-March, the season is usually over. What happened is that it started way earlier. So we've had our first cases as soon as early uh, September here in Montreal. And this is way sooner than previous years. And so we think there's a couple of things that have led to this. The first is COVID, of course, during COVID lockdown and COVID restrictions and mask wearing, there was really very little RSV circulating. So um, there wasn't much. And so what's happened is that the highest risk people, so infants and young children, never got exposed these last three years. And we know that it's really the first time that you get RSV that it's the most severe. So we have about three years worth of children that were really protected during the pandemic that are now being exposed 
all at once to this virus. Uh, because it's fall, people are indoors, schools have started again. So it just led to this perfect storm where there's a lot of highly susceptible people all getting together. And with the end of COVID restrictions and travel coming back, it just led to RSV coming into our communities way earlier than previous years. So it sounds like you're saying that uh, that because infants, uh, you know, they get exposed to this virus and they get sick and the worst episode is is the first. Does that mean that infants and young children are, are at the greatest risk? Absolutely. And so this is really well known because it's that first infection where you don't have any circulating antibodies to this that makes makes it really severe. And up to 20 to 30% of infants who get that first infection can actually get severe what we call lower lung disease. So it goes down into the lungs, causes really significant respiratory issues. And that's about a third of cases. Um, And then the second, third, fourth, fifth infections, because you can get RSV multiple times, is generally mild like a cold. And so because there are so many at-risk people right now, and really the highest risks are the, the newborns, less than a month of age and infants under 12 months of age. But with that delay, you know, three years worth of kids that you were talking about a moment ago, are you seeing RSV in kids who are older than say a year of age? Exactly. And so usually we're used to sort of just a year's worth of children getting RSV. They've had it. And then when they're two, three, they get it, but it's a mild cold. Right now we're seeing older children. So 18 months old, two years old, two year olds, and even some three year olds coming in with their first severe episode of RSV. Um, And that is what's really unusual because in the past years they would have had this before, but they're getting it all at the same time and they're getting it quite severely. So three, I would say about three cohorts worth of kids that haven't gone through RSV yet and unfortunately are doing it all at the same time right now. And does the age have any bearing on the severity of the symptoms? I know you mentioned that newborns are at the greatest risk. So the, the younger the age, there's a couple of things that make RSV really severe. So the younger the newborn um, and especially preterm infants. So anything less than 33 weeks gestational age is actually really well known to have complications from RSV. So infants who are born premature, prematurely, but also infants who have chronic lung disease. So who were premature, have left the neonatal unit and might be on home oxygen can have very severe RSV. And also infants and young children with congenital heart problems, born with a heart problem, can have really big problems with RSV. So those are really high-risk groups and that are known to have complications, high incidence of hospitalization, and even ending up in the ICU from this. Um, and so those are the, the at-risk groups we're really cautious about. What are the most common symptoms? So it really starts as a cold. So even in newborns, even in young infants, often there's a lot of nasal congestion. Uh, in older kids and adults, it's really the common cold. So nasal congestion, that runny nose, sore throat, cough. In infants, what happens is because when they're really young, under six months of age, they breathe primarily through their nose. As soon as you have that nasal congestion, they have trouble breathing. So it really blocks their primary way of breathing. And so they start having trouble breathing. And so you can see them working hard to breathe using their nose muscles, using their chest muscles, their neck muscles. And then that what that also does is that because they can't breathe, they don't want to feed, they don't want to drink, they become quickly dehydrated. And then it turns into a vicious cycle where they're dehydrated, they're working really hard to breathe, they tire out. And so some of them might even stop breathing, have what we call apneas, or really just become so dehydrated, they don't want to wake up to feed anymore. And so that's where we're in that danger zone. And we really have to be cautious. 
So then uh, can we just get a list of the symptoms and signs that suggest that an infant's going to get into serious trouble? What are you looking for? Absolutely. So the first thing I really want to make clear is that any newborn, so any baby under a month of age with fever must be seen in hospital, even if they look well and they look great. If that baby has a fever, you come straight to the hospital. I don't care how busy the emerges are, that infant, that baby will be seen. After that, after a month of age, it's not necessarily fever that's the alarm sign. It's really the first thing is not waking up to feed and not feeding. And so if that infant is not waking up to feed or is unable to feed, that's a red flag. And the first sign parents will notice in this young group is they're going to stop peeing. So they're used to changing diapers five, six, seven times a day. They're noticing they're not changing those diapers as frequently and their baby's not waking up to feed as frequently. That can be an early sign of dehydration. And the third biggest sign is increased difficulty breathing. The most obvious is, of course, is when their lips turn blue and they start having, they start looking very pale with blue lips, but that's a late sign. The first thing that's going to happen is they're going to see that child work to breathe. So what we call nasal flaring, using their nasal muscles that, that are going to go up and down, up and down, their neck muscles are going to be drawing in and even their stomach and chest muscles are going to be drawing in. They're seeing that difficulty breathing. They also bring that child straight to the eMERGE. How quickly does that sort of thing happen? So it does take time. And that's why I do want to reassure parents. It's not something that's going to happen over and immediately. It's what usually starts is um, that runny nose, that congestion. Their baby's a little bit more fussy. And then they're not going to want to drink. And so it takes time before it gets to that stage. And I think we'll talk about what parents can do at home to hopefully avoid getting to that stage. But it, there's a good at least 24, 48 hours of just cold-like symptoms, runny nose, congestion, before they get to that difficulty breathing stage. Got it. So what should parents do if they suspect that it's RSV? So I think the first thing, and I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it because I think a lot of parents aren't aware of what we call nasal hygiene. Um, so as soon as they see signs of a cold in their young infant and even in their newborn, it's really important they work hard to unblock and unclog that nose. It, it's essential because they're using that as their primary way of breathing. So the slightest cold is going to block that and they're going to run into all that trouble with not being able to breathe or feed. And I've encountered a lot of parents who are very scared and very reluctant to do this, but it's so effective. And it's actually one of the most effective things we use in hospital and we teach to parents before going home. So it really means using saline, um, saline drops and putting them into the nose of the baby to really unclog, to, to really uh, clarify some of that mucus so that it comes out. Because these infants can't blow their nose, it just accumulates, accumulates. So at the very first signs of a cold, I suggest to parents to start using what we call nasal hygiene um, right away and using it every two hours to really keep that mucus flowing, to not let it get, um, uh, to not let their child get so congested that they run into that trouble. And parents have often never heard of this or they're unaware of this, but there's a um, lot of options that parents can buy at pharmacies. There's nasal sprays and nasal solutions that are pre-made. There's also homemade nasal solutions. And I don't want people making up salt water solutions at home, but there's recipes online, either um, through St. Justine Hospital, you can Google them or SickKids or any hospital will have recipes for these homemade nasal solutions, as well as instructions as to how to administer this. So there's that. There's there's uh, saline drops and sprays every two hours. What about nasal suction? 
very important as well because parents are very scared, I think, uh, and that's what I've encountered is they're not at ease at, at unclogging, manually unclogging uh, these nasal passages, but there exist all kinds of things on the market. So very simple, anything from a small syringe to nasal bulbs to really these mechanical sections. And they're, they're, the pharmacists are terrific and they can actually show parents if they're at all in doubt how to use these. But for young infants where, you know, there's a lot of nasal congestion, in addition to the sprays, which are going to thin out the secretion, these uh, aspirates are really effective and really withdrawing these secretions. And actually, uh, for a lot of the infants who are hospitalized, the most effective treatment we do is that our nurses will go in and aspirate every two hours just to make sure that they can feed. And we say every two to three hours because that's usually how often a young infant is feeding during the day. So it really just encourages them to, you know, have that moment of peace, to, to have their airways cleared so they can feed regularly like that. Just other small things, and these are things we frequently use in hospital, but I teach to parents when they're going home, is really to reduce the amount of the feeds and to increase them in their frequency. So, you know, a baby might might drink three ounces every two to three hours, and they won't be able to do that when they're so congested. So we suggest giving them very small amounts, 10 ounces, 15 ounces, every 15 to 20 minutes, just to keep up the level of hydration. And it's very similar to what we can do with older kids as well. They might not have an appetite, so a two, three-year-old will not want to eat, and that's okay. But as long as you can get small amounts of fluid, of Pedialyte, of juice into them during that period where they're feeling okay, those small amounts can be enough to keep them well hydrated. And then a third really important thing is the positioning of the child. So, you know, children, when they're lying down, they just get more congested and more blocked up. So just simply position, having them positioned more sitting up can also help unclog some of those airways. Got it. Okay. Now, the, the question I wanted to ask you is, if, if, a, if parents do all of that, how effective is that in preventing that child from going on to the more severe form of RSV that, that you dread, that parents dread? Oh, it can be really effective. And I say this because I have a lot of parents who, who've gone through RSV with their first baby. And so they know for their second one that they start this right away. Um, and I don't have an actual number of figures. So this is all really just anecdotal. Um, but we know from experience that as soon as you, you start those measures, it can really make the difference. And the sense I'm getting is that parents may be afraid that, that their, their babies are so fragile that if they try, you know, nasal aspiration, that that's somehow going to harm their child. And what you're saying is that's not the case. Absolutely. And that's really the number one thing is parents are really afraid to approach their newborns and afraid and, and it's uncomfortable, you know, putting saline water into a newborn's nose or a child's nose. They're not going to like it. They are going to cry, but really it can make all the difference in keeping them hydrated and helping them breathe. So, you know, if parents are uncomfortable. There's a lot of videos on the web. There's a lot of instruction templates. And I, again, there's a lot of information on the web, but if you go to any of the major pediatric hospitals, their information is very credible and their videos are credible. So whether it's St. Justine or Sick Kids or Chio or any of the Canadian hospitals, they have information about this on their websites. And it's really instructional. And I hope it can put parents at ease with doing these nasal aspirates and this nasal hygiene. Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. 
Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. What's the treatment in hospital for RSV? So the most common thing children need is oxygen. So they've what happens is that the, the, the inflammation and the infection has gone down into their lungs. It's created a lot of inflammation. So they need extra oxygen just to keep their levels up. They also need what we call that nasal suctioning very frequently to continue to unblock their airways. And some will require some feeding assistance because, again, they're so blocked they can't feed. So either we'll put in a nasogastric tube or an IV solution to keep them hydrated. And that is okay for the majority. But there are about 10, 20% that will require ICU admission um, simply because they tire out. So all of this work of breathing and feeding is a lot of energy for an infant and a newborn, and some just tire out. And if they get that kind of support, um, how likely are is it that they can be pulled back from the brink? So that's the good news is that the vast majority do very well. It's really just a question of time. It can be a really long hospitalization. So once you're on a ventilator, it's a few days on a ventilator and then, you know, at least, at least a week or two of recovery after. Um, but it's rare, very rare that we have deaths from RSV. Okay. That's, that's good news. I'm going to ask you a question out of left field. Can adults get RSV? Absolutely. So you and I can definitely get RSV and, and I'm pretty sure I had it a few weeks ago. And for us, it's really mild, mild. It's a sore throat and it's really that, that bad cold that gives you a lot of nasal congestion. But for some adults, especially immunocompromised, so um, people who are undergoing chemotherapy who have a really weakened immune system, RSV can be very, very dangerous because they've lost a lot of their immunity that they've built up over the years. And when it is severe, what does it look like? So very much similar to um, older kids with pneumonia. So they'll have fever, they'll have cough, they'll have a lot of secretions. What we're going to see is really signs of infection and inflammation in their lungs. Got it. Um, I want to uh, kind of pull back and, yeah. and look at what uh, you know, some experts have referred to as a potential trid uh, tridemic. Um, and, and we know that there's, uh, there's Omicron subvariants of, of COVID-19, there's RSV, which you and I have been talking about, and there's the flu. So uh, how can people tell which is which? So the, the short answer is there's no easy way. So just clinically, if you have a runny nose, sore throat, cough, it's hard to tell because there's a lot of overlap between the three. The most definitive way is we test and we test by PCR. So we do that in hospital and that way we can definitively, we can definitely say whether it's one or the other. When you're an individual at home and you have mild symptoms and you're wondering if it's one or the other, there are some clinical signs that can push you. So for example, um, RSV doesn't usually cause a lot of fever and it doesn't make you feel like you've been run over by a truck. It doesn't give you those aches and body pains. It's really limited to your nose and your throat and your sinuses. Whereas the flu, when the flu influenza hits you, you tend to feel crummy all over. The challenge with COVID is it's, it's in, in between the two. So some will have very mild, just runny nose and cough, and others can have a flu-like illness where they feel really terrible and have severe body aches, myalgias, and fever. So there's a lot of overlap, but generally RSV is the mildest. What I do suggest, though, is anyone who has those symptoms, the first thing to do is a COVID test to make sure it's not COVID. And if the COVID test come back, come, comes back negative, especially at this time of year in Montreal and Toronto and now Ottawa, it's most likely RSV. 
but influenza is just knocking at the door and we're having our first cases. So um, it's hard to completely tell them apart with 100% certainty. Got it. Okay. Um, I want to ask about vaccines. Pfizer uh, announced uh, that, uh, you know, some some uh, success with a new vaccine against RSV uh, in, in the experimental trials that they're working on. What can you tell us about that? No, this is great. And I think teams, so there's many teams that have been working on RSV vaccines for well over 10 years because it's such a, uh, it causes such a great degree of disease in children. Um, so the RSV vaccine is a bit of a challenge, though, because the virus has a lot of different glycoproteins. It mutates quite a bit. So it's hard. It's been really hard to develop a vaccine that's going to be um, that's going to work against all the different serotypes. But they've been doing assays, first of all, in pregnant women to see if vaccinating pregnant women can give antibodies to their newborns and in the infants. The results are a bit mixed right now, so it's unlikely that a vaccine is going to be um, in uh, going to be approved for infants and children in the immediate future. However, there's some really great news on another front, which is the monoclonal antibodies. So there's antibodies that actually have been around for a number of years. One of them is called palivizumab, the, the short form of Synergis, which is a monoclonal antibody that essentially we give on a monthly basis, which gives you antibody protection to RSV. And right now it's being reserved for high-risk infants. And it works in some cases up to 80% to provide to prevent hospitalizations. And um, so that's what we've been using up until now on a monthly basis. And, you know, it does require a lot of logistics and visits and, and it, it costs quite a lot. But there's a new monoclonal antibody that was um, developed about a year and a half ago that's given only once every six months with a really great success rate. And it's been in clinical trials around the world. And so it's actually quite likely that this monoclonal antibody that could be given once at the start of the RSV season might even be approved faster than the vaccine because what we would end up doing is just giving this at the start of RSV season and protecting infants for really the entire season. But uh, again, this is uh, we're still waiting for approval, still waiting for the data on approval. When do we anticipate that might happen? Oh, uh, we're still waiting, but I think um, they're they're thinking at least a year or two. It's really a cost issue because these the the, the cost of these antibodies and getting kids with these injections is high. They really have to make sure that the the, the cost benefits um, across jurisdictions meet sort of that threshold for approval. Fatima, you've you've also mentioned that you're starting to see uh, kids coming in with flu. And as physicians, we advise everyone, you know, age six months and older to get a flu shot. And, and while I know, obviously, that flu shots don't protect against RSV, is there some logic to the idea of covering as many bases as possible this winter? Oh, absolutely. And I, I can't stress that enough because flu is literally knocking at the door. Okay. Last question I'm going to ask you just to bring it back to RSV. What can we do to lower the chances of a child or an adult getting RSV this year? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. I think it's really crucial that we protect young children and infants right now. So the first thing is, if you have a newborn or a young child at home, now is not the time to be visiting and to having big parties and bringing them out and about. You want to protect that young infant. So that means minimizing their social interactions, but especially, especially for newborns. The next thing is, if you have a cold or you think you have a cold, 
please stay away uh, and really try to wait until um, uh, you're, you're sure that you're not sick or that your symptoms have resolved. If you really can't be away and there's circumstances where you have to gather, please wear a mask and also to not let up on the hand washing. Wow, that's a great message to end on. Dr. Fatima Kakar, you have been a wealth of fantastic information. This is a really important episode, and I hope uh, parents and adults uh, who don't happen to have kids, uh, I hope everyone pays attention to it. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you, Brian. Dr. Fatima Kakar is an infectious diseases pediatrician and pediatrics professor at the University of Montreal. Here's your dose of smart advice. Doctors are seeing an early peak in cases of respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV. That's one of the reasons why pediatric hospitals are experiencing huge backups and long waits. You can get infected with RSV many times during your lifetime. For adults who have partial immunity, RSV causes symptoms of a cold, such as runny nose and sore throat. But the first time newborns and infants get the virus, it can pack a wallop. Earlier in the pandemic, infants were less likely to get exposed to RSV because of masking and physical distancing. We're likely seeing a big increase in cases now because kids are back at school sharing viruses like they did before the pandemic. Most infants and young kids with RSV start off having mild symptoms that resemble a cold. At this point, parents can help prevent their infant from needing hospitalization by reducing the amount of work the infant has to do to keep breathing. Saline nasal drops and sprays and gentle suction devices keep nasal passages open. So too does keeping your infant sitting upright instead of lying flat and feeding your baby smaller amounts more often. Newborns, premature infants, as well as full-term babies who are immunocompromised can develop the most serious form of RSV that may require hospitalization. No matter how stressed and overcrowded you think the ER is, take your child there if they're less than two months of age and have a fever, or if they're unusually quiet and sleepy so that they stop getting up every couple of hours to feed. Dehydration, as indicated by drier than usual diapers, is another worrisome sign. And watch for signs the baby is working hard to breathe by flaring their nostrils and tugging at their ribs or neck. Don't fear hospitalization. The vast majority of infants and young kids who end up in hospital do just fine. Several RSV vaccines are in development, but are a year or two away from being approved. But at least one treatment with monoclonal antibodies is approved for infants at high risk of complications of RSV. And a second monoclonal antibody treatment in development is even more promising. It can be very hard to spot the differences between RSV, the flu, and COVID. RSV causes less fever and fewer aches and pains than the flu. Infectious disease experts say adults and kids over the age of six months should get the seasonal flu shot. Doing so not only protects others, it also helps reduce the number of people with respiratory viruses who come to the ER. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions you'd like answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Technical support was by Laura Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.